Hello there, I'm Kiel Saronin Beatmaker, and on this episode of The Monday Mindset, we're going to be talking about growth. Since we are programmed toward full personhood, life is always both an active state of being and an ever-changing state of becoming. It is a continual process of creating ourselves to meet demands of the present and those of the future. Dr. Leo. This is why I constantly stress living life as a lesson learned, for that is a state of an active being. The continual process of creating ourselves is fundamental to living in the moment, being present, for that is how we shape and create the future. The growth of an individual is not measured by success, but the fully actualized individual. For the fully actualized individual is the success. This will become your personal legend, your dream, your illusion. Call it what you would like. This is each and every individual's goal within their essential reality, just like the prey or the predator. For them, the active state is an ever-changing state of life and death. There is no past. There is no future. There is only the present. For the present moment will determine whether you live or die, are fed or go hungry. It is a continual process that fuels and thrives the circle of life. Each and every one of us is the prey and predator within our circle of life. And the circle of life encompasses our friends, family, culture, social upbringing. Each and every one of us contribute to the present in those and the future. It is up to us to apply these life lessons and experiences towards our full personhood. Man is ultimately not molded or shaped into humanness or taught to be human. The role of the environment is ultimately to permit him or help him to actualize his own potentialities, not its potentialities. Maslow. Me and Maslow are on the same wavelength. I always say we are products of our environment. We can choose to learn from our environment or we can choose to become it. This coincides well with Maslow's statement because our environments are extensions of the human experience. As I said in episode eight titled, To Be Alive, the very viruses we use to abuse and extort our planet, we use upon ourselves. Look to the world around you. Look to those individuals who have lived a life of poverty, war, subjugation, extortion, rape, genocide. Those individuals found their self-actualization and became fully human. They took the lessons of their environment and allowed it to mold and shape them into their essential reality. They saw their own potential within their environment. They reversed the programming I mentioned in episode eight, by which we are taught not to see the value in life, only to see what value life can give us. They saw the value in life. 
They saw the potential in being human. They searched for it within themselves, despite the negative environment surrounding and binding them in chains. Those of us fortunate and grateful to be born in countries or areas where we are able to live somewhat comfortable lives or even wealthy lives, we need to reteach ourselves the value in life, the value in being the true self, rather than promoting and creating a false self and a false narrative that prevents you from actualizing your own potential. You've allowed the book of law to deem being fully human blasphemy. And like the Christian flagellants who whip themselves, we are taught to whip our conscience into submission, thus allowing them into the subconscious and furthering the book of laws programming. As Maslow says, creativeness, spontaneity, selfhood, authenticity, caring for others, being able to love, yearning for truth, are embryonic potentialities belonging to the species membership just as much as his arms, legs, brain, and eyes. These embryonic potentialities are the extension of our conscious body, embryonic potentialities that give life to our self-actualization, allow us to see with eyes unclouded by hate furthering our progression with our personhood, furthering the success within our personal legends. For these embryonic potentialities are the foundations of turning the living hell into the living dream. We are all capable of mastering these embryonic potentialities. They can become second nature to us and become a conscious extension of our arms, legs, brain, and eyes. These embryonic potentialities fulfill the yearning for truth. That truth is found within us, bound to the embryonic potentialities that cultivate our personhood. Growth may be viewed through the examples encompassing all of the embryonic potentialities Maslow has stated. I would like to elaborate and expand on ideas presented by Dr. Leo in regards to growth of the fully actualized individual. With my own personal ideas and perspectives, of course. So please sit back, relax, and enjoy the ride. Stage one, fully functioning infant and child. Children and infants are out of necessity natural slaves. Their identity in the world is being created by outside forces. They have no choice and because of their dependent state, receive all input from those people and things in their immediate life spaces. Dr. Leo. As I have stated, we are products of our environment, but this is true more so when we are children. As Dr. Leo states, natural slaves, for us children and infants, we are slaves to our, to our cultural upbringing, our social upbringing, and the views and perspectives of our parents. These are the embers that eventually bloom into the choice of individuality. Yet, until our choices and survival, yeah, until our choices and survival is dependent upon the outside forces that raise, feed, 
and educate us. As infants and children, we are absorbed. The world around us with such fluidity in times becomes an extension of who we are. We become dependent upon the world around us, for the outside forces have domesticated us so. There are many of us, even as adults today, who are still natural slaves. Because the world that we live in can be dangerous if too much seeks into our pores. Intentionally or unintentionally, our parents, our outside forces are inherent creators of natural slaves. Many continue to do so for what is taught is learned and what is learned is taught. Our identities and the outside forces go hand in hand. We have to learn. We have to be free that we are not free. Or should I say we have to learn to be free that you are not free? (laughs) I'm getting that one mixed up. What is it? You have to learn to be free. You are not free. There we go. (laughs) I feel that is the lesson Many parents who value their own self-actualization and value the growth and blooming of their children. Bless you, Pablo. They wish to instill or raise their children with this mentality. The problem is, is that outside forces have just as much influence in raising and shaping our children, often with consequences that either shape or break children. And these very same outside forces may be the ones that birth and raise us. That's why children's minds are so malleable. And the lasting effects, as I said, may shape or break a child's self-actualization. The first requirement for actualization of the infants and children lies outside of their control and in the hands of the responsible authority, Dr. Leo. Like I said earlier, if you are fortunate enough to be raised by parents or single parents or family members that saw the value in their own self-actualization, they saw the value as well in your growth of self-actualization. You are fortunate to be in the hands of a responsible authority. But even then, we have to remember that those responsible authorities are human and they will make mistakes while raising us. And if we're fortunate, they will admit and acknowledge their mistakes and seek forgiveness and acceptance. For that is the only way they can find growth in themselves and further their self-actualization. It's a never-ending journey, and mistakes are par for the course. But accountability is the ace in the hole. And sometimes our parents will lose sight of this. They're human as well. And they'll fall victim to self-sabotage, arrogance, and insecurities, all of which come with consequences. As much as they try to instill that mindset, they may forget over time or lose sight of it themselves. They will suggest how their children should think and feel about the world in spite of themselves. They will usually teach, and this way their own lifestyles, fears, prejudices, anxieties, and frustrations, along with their joys, hopes, desires for actualization. Dr. Leo. Oftentimes, parents will try to live through their children to attain a status or lifestyle 
or achievement they were never able to achieve themselves. It is a casualty in the desire for actualization of their child or children. We all know somebody or experiencing it ourselves. Parents that push upon their own lifestyles to justify the life they have lived or wish to live. Or even better, the life they wish they could live. How many actors, artists, athletes have the same tale of their parents living through them? How many said parents of those celebrities have abused or even taken their children's life? The same can be said for the average family. Too many times we hear the stories of, of, um, of these stories being played out, of people living their child's lives through them. Parents using their own lifestyle or thrusting their child into a lifestyle of programming, control, and exploitation, especially if the child's lifestyle conflicts with their parents or parent. This can have dire consequences for the child's actualization. Consequences that can be lifelong, self-inflicting habits and decisions that have cascading effects. Not only does it severely impact their growth and evolution into an individual, it affects everyone within their personal universe. And take that with the celebrities and the athletes and actors. That cascading effect influences all of their fans and people who look up to them. And it's going to have dangerous consequences, especially if those parents are trying to teach their children to emulate those individuals. No matter the lifestyle, even the irresponsible authority or responsible authority, their fears, prejudices, and anxieties will project onto the child. Oftentimes, it's unintentional, but the environment amplifies those negative energies into an explosion. As I said earlier, what is taught is learned, and what is learned is taught. And these fears and prejudices, prejudices and anxieties can be generational. They can be written into our DNA. I can assure you, being a Jamaican and Puerto Rican man, that my fear of the cops will never go away. Is that a generational fear due to the slavery and systemic racism and laws? Or is it written within my DNA due to the conquistadors and their terror of colonizing the Caribbean? These are questions many of us have to ask ourselves due to the upbringing we experienced during our childhood. And we must put some time aside to do some analyzing of our parents' upbringing and how that may have shaped and molded their life decisions and choices in raising us. Childhood is a time for play, for experimentation, for exploration. Everything is new. Everything is curious. I love this statement because, honestly, that is the truth. That is what we seem to forget about what makes childhood so exciting. You see, I'm a product. I was born in, in, the, in the early 90s. So, you know, for me, my childhood, I spent a lot of it outside. You know, my, my mom didn't necessarily, you know, she allowed me to have, you know, video games like N64 and, um, you know, the old school Game Boys and such. But that was saved for um, in the evening. You know, I spent most of my times outside in my imagination, 
pretending I was a vampire hunter or a Jedi. You know, I lived out in the woods, you know, and they had a river behind me. So I could also go and capture fish and not fish, frogs and go fishing and just hang out in the pond and or in the river and swim. You know, it was a lot of fun. Um, and I and I think because I spent so much time outside and in my imagination and you know i remember you know making you know bows and arrows with um we would put nails in the tips of the bows i mean in the tips of the arrows um you know all sorts of crazy you know wacky stuff but i was fortunate i got to you know be raised out in the country and that allowed me to really delve into my creative juices. And my mom has always been a creative person, you know, even as I, you know, got older, like, you know, I used to do jewelry with my mom and, um, you know, I, I sing and I make music, I make, you know, beats and my own songs and, and things of that nature. But, you know, we don't, we don't give that to our children nowadays, you know, in this society, like, you know, I would go outside in the backyard, you know, for hours on end, you know, we can't, you can't really do that nowadays unless, you know, your backyard is, is, um, you know, got a wall around it, you know, and, and Bob wire on the top, you know, and cameras everywhere, <laughs> you know, kids can't, you know, don't have that ability to kind of be free as much or explore. And, and most of the time they don't really want to, I mean, most kids would rather, you know, we used to play basketball outside for hours and then go inside and pay, play basketball on the on the PlayStations and Xboxes. But now they'd rather just play on the phone or just stay inside. There's no there's no yearning for exploration and experimentation. And if it is, you just, it's all on the phone. There's no physicality to it anymore. And it's unfortunate that society and our culture is turning like that, you know, especially with this pandemic, you know, goodbye, the field trips. <laughs> Ain't no more field trips happening. You know, and it's like, you know, I never really... You know, I I see it in my nieces and nephews. Well, my 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 nephews, like, you know, they're growing up through this, and countless children are growing up through this. And I can't I can't imagine, you know, the unnecessary stress this has put on children, and a lot of that stress, unfortunately, is amplified by the parents, especially if they're, you know, really struggling. And, you know, whether you're a single parent or with both of your parents, um, you know, a lot of people are struggling and, and, you know, a lot of children are having to grow up a lot earlier. Um, and they don't get as much time to play, to explore, to be curious because, you know, they could be 11 years old and they're taking care of their younger brother and, cooking dinner and, you know, doing all these things. Mom might be at work. Dad might be at work. You know, we live in, in that kind of era now, you know, even for me, you know, I was, a, you know, a product of a single mother and, um, 
you know, I'd come home, get off the bus and, you know, be two o'clock and my mom would still be at work. And, you know, I'd have to take care of myself. I'd have to make food and, and, and things like that. And even then, oftentimes I, my mom wouldn't get home till five and I'd go outside and run around and hang out by the river, you know, no adult, no, nothing. You know, I could have slipped and, and floated down, you know, Hope River, <laughs> but nothing like that happened. And we don't allow, we don't trust our children as much to explore and to be curious. We want to protect them and coddle them. And, you know, and at the same time, I mean, it's necessary. I mean, it's, it, I, I couldn't imagine growing up right now. You know, I remember this is actually it just kind of popped into my head, but it's a fascinating little, um, little tale that I heard. But um, this artist, he was talking with, um, I think the boy was 19 years old. And, um, you know, he asked, he asked the young man, what was his first, you know, sexual experience? What was his first time seeing anything sexual? And he said he was four years old and was watching a a er, saw a erotic film of cosplayers and um it was only one girl and several men and i'm sure many of you catch my drift um but imagine being 4 years old and that's like the first thing you experience sexually like the the i and you know at four years old you know you may not remember many things but something like that i can imagine and the boy it wasn't four he was six he was six years old not four i'm mistaken he was six um and he was saying that as he got older it truly affected his you know his his youth his ability to grow up and to mature and how to communicate with women. And I, I think about how many children are experienced to so many, you know, um, high octane sexual and violent things. But it's weird because I'm, I'm like struggling with it because when, you know, product of, the, of a, you know, a little nineties kids, like I've saw some crazy stuff when I was, being raised, you know, my mom would let me watch some crazy things, but I guess like, you know, back then it's not as real as it looks now. And, um, and it wasn't as easy, you know, back in the day, it wasn't easy. You know, you'd have to hit up Cinemax at like one o'clock in the morning <laughs> or HBO, get some of that real sex. <laughs> oh Lord. Those were the days. Oh, man. But what I'm trying to say um, is that there's no more of that curiosity, of that exploration, of that experimentation. Because, you know, many ways we kind of like we've deemed it dangerous or taboo. Um, and I'm And I mean in Western cultures, you know, I'm not talking about in Eastern cultures you know, in other cultures around the world, I'm talking mostly in Western cultures, 
you know, we have turned play and experimentation and exploration into apps, you know, into these structured, rigid times. And it's unfortunate. You know, I remember, you know, when I was, you know, we don't, teachers don't get to have as much fun with their students as when I was growing up. Um, And I think even with parents, like I said, you know, it's parents, you know, I don't know how many parents, you know, I'm, I'm 29. I don't have any kids. I got my little chihuahua pops, but I have seen, you know, parents who are my age or older who aren't interacting with their child. They're just on their phone. Um, And their child, you know, the child sees it and is receptive to that. And, you know, you see children like that, you know, how many countless times have you seen children at, you know, grocery stores or anywhere where there's just an iPad in front of him? You know, that's where the experimentation and the exploration is now. That's where the play is. You know, when I was a kid, there wasn't that. If if the if the Game Boy ran out of batteries and you didn't have the charger, no or no extra batteries or anything, that was it. You had to sit there with all the other adults or if you're lucky and fortunate, there are other kids and they liked you, you could play with them. Um, or you'd be, you know, walking around, you know, I remember countless being at adult parties with my mom and I'm hanging around with adults or I'm just wandering or they just put me in a room and tell me there's a TV and I'm like, Oh, all right. (laughs) Um, you know, or there'd be a bunch of other kids, you know, we don't do that anymore. I mean, we, you know, definitely can't now with the pandemic, but, um, even before the pandemic, like kids didn't explore. And if they did explore, they were on their iPads, even outside. How many times have we all seen kids outside on their phones? And then, you know, we're we're trying to, you know, I remember when, what was it? On Pokemon, Pokemon, it was something on the iPhone where it was like a Pokemon game and, and people were, it was a great, people were running out into the middle of the streets trying to catch Pokemon or going into the woods. And it was crazy. It was all sorts of craziness. And I mean, that was good. It got people outside, but they were still on their phones. I mean, I remember working at a, at a camp and we're literally hiking through the woods with the kids and two of the other counselors, I mean, you know, they're, you know, I'm 29. Anyone younger than me, um, anyone that's below like 25, honestly, anyone, I, I consider you children, depending on your personality and the way you behave. Because let's be honest, we've all met people, regardless of how old you are, who still act like children. But anyways, that's the, the besides the point, And that's on a later point later on. Anyways, so like, you know, the kids are, you know, trying to catch crayfish and trying to catch little critters in the, in the little rivers. And the two counselors, and I'm staring at them, they're like, oh, yeah, did you catch that Charizard? Oh, my, I think there's one over there. Hey, you watch the kids. I'm going to go catch that Pokemon over there. And you know, I worked as a one-on-one with, with special need uh, camp uh, campers. And I'm sitting I'm looking at this, and I'm like, and, and this is why kids have no, you know, no fun. Because the people who are supposed to be, you know, teaching them how to experiment and explore and play are too busy playing on their phones and and then the kids get in, in with it and and following them on their phones and not getting involved in nature and, and, and exploration and wonder and 
it's just it's unfortunate what is you know what's happening to the child within us all the mystery child is searching for itself the key to the mystery lies in the child's receptiveness if its search is impeded or blocked the child will scream in frustration dr leo we mustn't forget that we are the mystery child and like a child that needs validation, security, comfort, and affirmation as it searches for itself, we must continue to do so for ourselves. We cannot and we should not lose the mystery child within us. The mystery child is our innocence. Innocence is never lost. It can only be forgotten. And in the worst case scenarios, taken. That is why as adults, we must take a deep dive within ourselves to search for what has impeded or blocked the mystery child within. Only then will we be able to clear away the weeds within our garden and slowly bloom into our self-actualization. We must be willing to choose to brave the mysteries of the garden for the weeds may be covered in thorns and at times you may have an allergic reaction but that is the baptism of recovering the mystery child within. But we must be willing to be receptive to the mystery child, to listen to his cries and demands, to cradle ourselves within our conscious and soothe our soul, to clear away the weeds of the garden and allow our mystery child to search, to allow the flowers of our consciousness and personality to photosynthesize with the life lessons and experiences of the art of living that feed the mystery child with the light of self-actualization. Though a childhood is a separate stage which can be completed and actualized in itself, it will afford us much valuable learning which can enrich our future life. Dr. Leo. And you see, you know, that's what I was kind of saying earlier. Like, we, we don't have that stage of being children anymore because we are living in a life where being a child now can be can mean being an adult at the exact same time like I was saying you know I remember a study that I read online almost like 20 years ago and it was talking about how girls are developing their period earlier and earlier and earlier in their development in life you know there are you know girls who are getting their periods in you know, kindergarten. And, you know, that is a a, a very concerning issue um, medical-wise. I don't know what has happened or what's been going on in terms of um, those issues because I'm a dude and I am no expert and I am not going to give my two cents. But I'm bringing up that study because it really um, is part of the fact that children don't get that stage to be a child anymore. You know, I, I I can't imagine what it must be like being a parent or parents 
or being a child that's in you know elementary school and is already you know got their period and and is already starting to become a young woman at such a young age and even with young boys you know like i was saying you know we have young boys and girls who are experiencing certain you know mature entertainment that you know back in the day for us it was late on it was late at night you know or you know if you know it wasn't you couldn't record it you know there was no dvr you know there was no netflix or anything like that back in the day you know there was tv guide and if you missed whatever was coming on or you knew it was a naughty show and you knew oh it comes on saturdays at 11 o'clock okay keep my schedule clear from 10 to 11. <laughs> so, you know, what I mean is like, we don't have that. You know, we don't, you know, when I was a kid, like for me, like, you know, going out and like learning, you know, trial by fire. Like I remember one time I must've been like eight, seven, 10 around there. We have a, a friend who lives in, in, in mass and she was going to pick up her child at the um, bus station, but it was like, it was a couple miles away and I wanted to go with her. And I like just, she was already walking and I just took off following her. And I will never forget. I couldn't even catch up with her. I was like, I must've been, I don't know, like, less than half a mile behind her. And I'm this little kid. I'm walking on this big-ass bridge. I apologize for the language. You know, the, the traffic was packed on the bridge. And I'm walking by myself, scared. Why am I doing this? I can't go back. It's too far. I got to keep on going forward. I'm like, okay, no one's... And, I, you know, and this back in the day, you know, people saw a little kid. Like, no one was going to ask me what I was doing back then. Nowadays, you know, I would have been trending on Twitter. <laughs> there would have been a, a, a chopper above me. But, you know, back then, you know, it wasn't like that. And trust me, I did get a, you know, a mouthful for that little stunt that I pulled. But, you know, that taught me a very valuable lesson. Like, I'm not ready to just go and walk off on my own somewhere. I was legitimately scared the entire time, but I kept on going. You know, so, you know, and, and I was in a vulnerable situation and that taught me, I'm like, I can't, you know, I learned, I learned there, stick next to mom. Even at this age, I'll be going running errands with my mom and I'm, I'm still right there, <laughs> you know, but you know, she's older and I, you know, I got to look out for her now, especially with the pandemic and everything, but we don't, we don't, children don't get those opportunities to be in situations like that. And then, you know, there are children who do, but it's like, you know, working in the school system, I see plenty of kids and I, that would go home on the bus, you know, whether they were in middle school and they'd go home. Sometimes they have siblings, they'd go home to take care of their siblings. You know, a lot of kids they don't get that time to just be a child anymore and to have those valuable learning experiences, you know, and memories that you can look back to and be like, huh, 
all right, that was that was a bit of a, a wild risk that I took. Um, and I I hope that someday in the future we can get to a point where I hope that children can experience those things again and learn those valuable lessons and not be, you know, coddled and guarded all the time. You know, sometimes, you know, let them ride their bike without the helmet so they can learn. <laughs> you know, there were plenty of situations that when I was growing up that, you know, I did something stupid and my mom let me do it so she so I would learn how stupid that was. Um, and, you know, we all we all need those situations. We all need to have those valuable lessons. We also need to be embarrassed as a child. Honestly, I know this sounds kind of tough, but being embarrassed when you're a child can really put a lot of things in perspective. All right. I will never forget. <laughs> and and this is the best thing about when I was growing up. I guess being embarrassed now is not a good thing because you can get turned into a meme or a GIF. Um, or if you're lucky, a TikTok star. But I will never forget I was in sixth grade. And I was in Latin class. Yes, back in the day when they taught Latin in school. I mean, they still do it now, but like, come on, y'all. Um, <laughs> I wonder how English, how language teachers are doing right now. Ugh. But anyways, I was in class, sitting there, and the bell rung, and I'm walking out, and I don't know, all of a sudden, I felt terrible. And I'm walking, and the next thing you know, I put my hand over my mouth. Sorry, I don't know why I did that right now. <laughs> I put my hand over my mouth, and I began to vomit. And I didn't have my hand, my my hand. I had my hand over my mouth, but I had like a little slip open in between my fingers, and like a fountain, just vomit, just shot out of my mouth and landed. <laughs> on the back of this kid. And then I couldn't, didn't even make it to the bathroom. By the time I got to the boys' bathroom, I had already vomited. Anyways, I eventually make it to the um, nurses. <laughs> and I'm sitting there, I got a temperature. They're, um, um, you know, calling my mom. And the kid who I vomited, <laughs> He comes walking in. And we both lock we we both lock eyes and we just kind of start laughing. Um, and he ended up going home too because I mean he's covered in my vomit. <laughs> um, but you know back then things like that it was funny. It was a an embarrassing moment, but it it was like you know I bring that up because like that's a funny moment, an embarrassing moment, but it's a memory. You know it's not. You know, I, kids weren't didn't have their phones out recording me and and laughing at me and making fun of me. Um, you know, back then when situations like that happened, we didn't like necessarily make fun of people. We, we were gonna be like, oh my god, I just vomited over there, like whoa. But nowadays, you know, we don't allow children to have those vulnerable moments and kind of you know take it in. We already have our phones out, you know, and 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 amplifying that 
embarrassment to a, to a point where it's not something that you can look back at and and laugh at. And we all have those, especially as you get older. Um, I remember this kid, we were on a field trip and we came back and um, there was this giant pothole in, um, in the entrance into one of the parking lots at our middle school. And ba-boom, we hit it. And then you know, we hear about the other bus and this kid comes out. Actually, no, it was on our bus. Yeah, it was on our bus. He just happened to be in the the bathroom in the bus and he was taking a piss and boom. And he came out with piss all over his pants. And he was laughing up a storm. We were all laughing. He was embarrassed, but we were all laughing. And we were kind of, we were making fun of him, but it was lighthearted. And everyone had a really good time. It was a great way to end the um, the field trip for everyone. Even the teachers were like, this is nasty, but it is funny. Um, you know, if something like that were to happen now, I don't think we would you know, children or, you know, young adolescents would, and would, uh, would laugh at it and enjoy it and, you know, and be lighthearted. We would make fun of them and bully them and harass them about it and mock them online. And, and it's just unfortunate that we, that kids cannot have the experiences that, you know, we've had as children that enriched our lives, whether it was embarrassing or valuable life lesson, but, you know, we can look back at it and be like, huh, that was that was a good one. Huh, man, that was embarrassing. I can't believe I did that. Oh, my God. But we can enjoy that. And and sometimes nowadays those, you know, things happen with, you know, with videos and TikTok and Twitter and whatnot. And, you know, people can support them and they can be really funny memes that last and they're great. And sometimes they can ruin people's lives and, and make them really depressed. So, you know, that's something that we have to acknowledge and and realize that our children need to have those vulnerable state, that vulnerable stage. They need to have those experiences. And we need to be receptive to it and open to it and and support them and motivate them to do it. We shall want to maintain the childhood thirst for knowledge and exploration. We shall need to retain some of childhood's sense of wonder, of risk, of trust, of spontaneity, of fantasy. We shall want to discard childhood ways essential to a child, but destructive to an adolescent and adult. Without losing, without losing the optimistic, and this will give us the childlike view of life. Dr. Leo, I totally butchered that one. <laughs> Stage two, the fully functioning adolescent. In assuming the struggle for I, we were not only a problem for others, but also became a serious problem to ourselves. Dr. Leo. How many of us are still struggling with I? For this may seem like a burden for an adolescent, but is very much a burden for any individual 
in and of itself, who are adolescents or older. Because at times, the struggle with I is in conflict with the false self and the true self. And in the climate that we live in today, that struggle will encompass the entire world if we let them in. And that will cause the problem to not only self-inflict, but inflict upon others. Because social media corrupts, manipulates, and exploits the struggle for I. This further amplifies the self-inflicting and afflicting and the self-infliction and affliction upon others because our words and actions and deeds now live on forever. How many of us are willing to promote the false self in order to admit that we have failed the true self, no matter the damage done upon ourselves and the personal universe? Passive-aggressive behaviors that Social media allows us to perpetuate and consume the struggle for I. The struggle for I has always been unknown territory, regardless of the error, the era. But I feel our technological modernization has made the struggle for I damn near impossible for anyone to truly overcome. We have been domesticated and do not seek out self-reliance and self-value and self-worth. We have been domesticated to seek out in the likes, retweets, follows, and comments that we get on all of our various social media platforms. Because society has decided that that is where the struggle for I must take place. Not within ourselves or life experiences or choices, decisions, and interactions within our environment and our personal universe. No, it is up to the masses to decide our fate and our struggle. You can choose not to give in to this domestication. You can choose to not live the struggle for I in such a manner. Dr. Leo says, it is the initial realization that we are not they, but we, ourselves, and I. The pity is that the most vital characteristics of our adolescence, so necessary for realization of the self, are those most abhorred by adults and society, and therefore most often frustrated. And, you know, how how true is that? You know, it's so difficult to be a teenager nowadays, because the things that you may want to experience or try out, we have created a false narrative that is dangerous, that is exploitive, that it will corrupt you, or our parents will completely lie and create such elaborate lies and constructs around these things that it makes it damn near impossible for for a teen to understand or to experience it. And oftentimes, you know, the harder parents try to protect and prevent their children from experiencing certain things in life, the child wants it even that much more. And at that point, they're not afraid to do it in any manner. Think about those areas in the the South and Midwest where there is high teen pregnancy and STZ, STDs, because in those areas, 
the church is what rules. You know, kids, they don't teach about, you know, they don't teach, they don't have health classes to teach about female reproductive systems, male reproductive systems, you know, STDs, all of those things. They don't teach that. And so, and they don't, you know, have Planned Parenthoods or talk about wearing condoms or anything like that. So these kids don't have an outlet. They don't have anyone to to learn from because it's adhored by the adults, the society, the church, whatever has deemed it, you know, untouchable. And so you have in those, you know, southern states and Midwestern states and, you know, rural areas where it's, you know, the, the poverty is high, but the church is even higher. But they have high teen pregnancy rates, high SED counts. You can look in whether it's poverty in the, in the Midwest, poverty in the South, positive and poverty in the East, West, where there is no, you know, where adults in society and the culture in those areas have made it, have demified certain social activities or entertainment activities to the point where Kids will do anything that it takes to get a taste of it. And more so often, those kids end up getting hurt or overdeen or become addicts. You know, pick, pick what you want. You, you read that many stories about it. But, you know, it's and a lot of it comes through adults because that's what they were taught. That's what they were experienced. That's the product of the environment that they're from. And it's unfortunate. You know, that we condone it. And especially in Western countries, we, it's funny, we have no problem watching, you know, shows, these high, you know, highly scripted, detailed shows with with crazy effects and even crazier violence and sex scenes. And we'll watch that to our heart's content. But... You know, God forbid we let any of our, our children experiment a little bit in that. And and this is in Western countries. We we have made it damn near impossible for, for kids to grow up to be children. Because we will will demify them experimenting with, with drugs or sexuality, but then you know, we'll celebrate it in music and arts. I don't understand. And this is why it's frustrating for kids. This is, and this is why it's, you know, extremely difficult to grow up right now in this society because, you know, our society has made it so difficult. I mean, I can't, you know, think about it this way. Imagine, you know, being a 15 year old kid and your, your, your mom is, you know, trying to be some, you know, you know, hot, you know, middle-aged, you know, Instagram mom, and you have to deal with that, you know, and, and you're going to have friends who see that and, you know, they're going to, you know, bully you about it and maybe talk about how hot your mom is and all these things. And it's like, um, that must be difficult for a child to experience, to, to live through, or, or even more so if you're, you know, how many videos have we seen of, of, of parents getting into fights and their children are right there. And sometimes their children get into the fight or their children are, are, are egging them on. And it's, 
it's so unfortunate because then, and people are recording that. You know, think about so many things that are recorded now or, or pictures that are taking that, that, um, that make it so frustrating to be a child. You know, you, I, it, it's just crazy to me, like how impossible it really is to be a child, a child that is free to explore and experiment their individuality. But we don't appreciate that anymore in America, in Western societies. You know, I, you know, and maybe there are other cultures where it is appreciated and we allow kids to, well, not, not really. <laughs> it, it's hard. It's just, it's getting tougher because the hypocrisy in what adults adhor and within our society, it just, it, I can't imagine now for kids how it must be. And I sympathize with them. You know, when I was working in the school system, you know, I would tell kids like, you know, you can live life the hard way or the right way, you know, and I'll tell them, you know, take time to really learn about who you are and what you want to do as you get older and don't rush things. Take your time um, and be mindful that you you have time to find out who you are and despite and regardless what your parents may want for you or may you know desire for you you know acknowledge it listen to it and but still take that time to find out who you are you know the kids i worked with were you know between the ages of 15 and 18 and a lot of them you know they a lot of them had good head on their shoulders and and they were going places. They were going to succeed despite the hurdles that they were facing. And others, you know, they were too frustrated because, you know, you would hear it in their voice and, and you would hear when they complain about their parents or complain about the way they were brought up. And because of that, you know, I've worked with so many kids who did not have a lot of the vital characteristics that are necessary in being a young teenager. And then there were some that were that didn't even have time to to even learn those vital characteristics because they were too busy trying to succeed in being a, a teen, or, or not even being a teen, but being succeeding in their their academics or in in their their team sports. I mean, most of the time they were more consumed. You know, I I will never forget this girl. I was really cool with one of the art teachers um, because I, I, w- I worked at the high school that I graduated from. And she was, um, I had her during my senior year. But that's, that's, that's regardless of the point. Um, when we were hanging out in her classroom and this girl was working on um, one of her final projects. It was a, or, yeah, it was like one of the final projects. It was just a, a painting of an apple. And this girl started crying. She just broke down crying. All because she couldn't get the shadow right. And she was, she's like, she already had a, a good grade, but it was it was um it was incredible because the 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 art teacher was just like, 
And she had to explain to her, like, you need to relax. It's not that big of a deal. This is not the main the the main um, exam. This is one of the one of the projects in the final exam. You already have a good grade. She was so consumed concerned about whether she'd have the right GPA, and then she started talking about her brother and and it was crazy. But like, you know, and listening to this girl, I'm like, this is a girl who is so consumed with her GPA and looking out for her brother that she can't even enjoy her project. She can't even enjoy being in school, being a, t- a child, being a teenager, because she was too worried about her GPA in college. And, you know, I didn't go to a big fancy four-year school. I didn't even take um, the SATs or, or, or what have you, um, because I, I saw all of that is 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 unnecessary. Um, and it's unnecessary stress and insecurities. And and I'll be honest with you, a lot of the kids that I went to school with who were topping those SATs, they didn't go anywhere. And I'm not trying to be mean, but they didn't. So what does that tell you? I know there are plenty of people listening to this who know people who took all the SATs, did all that fancy jazz, but they're still doing what? And so I looked at that and I'm like, I'm glad I didn't go down that route because then what would have been all that wasted time on, you know, perfecting my getting a good SAT score to get into a four-year college that I'll be paying for all for the rest of my life. I'm good on that. You know, my choices and my education, you know, yeah, it had its ups and downs, but in the end... You know, I did it my way and on my terms. Not all of it, but most of it. (laughs) Stage three, the fully functioning, mature person. Our maturity will be forever developing and can only be defined by the degree and quality of its presence throughout future times of our lives. It is like the concepts of love and knowledge. There can never be an end to acquiring either, only an intense aspiration for experiencing more or both. It is, therefore, a concept of being and becoming. Like the redwoods, we will never stop growing. We will never stop developing. The quality in the branches of our life depend on the conceptual mastering and desire for love and knowledge, because they come hand in hand, in my opinion. Redwood branches will continue to reach out towards the sun, ever-growing and expanding, never ceasing. The desires for love and knowledge to experience inspiration, heartbreak, failure, and success The expansion of our perception throughout the future times we live, we must aspire to be scholars and dreamers. With maturity comes old knowledge and new tricks. For scholars and dreamers, our love and knowledge, they have an intense aspiration for experiencing both and gaining the knowledge of self-actualization to master over manifestation that is in synchronicity with time. 
continually being developed and refined through the quality of our love and knowledge. I say to you, being and becoming is the mastery in the art of living. It is in the veins and the blood that fuels our soul, that drives our conscious and soothes our subconscious. Like the immortal jellyfish, our maturity resets and is revitalized within the mystery child. With each new knowledge we gain, we gain a greater capacity to love, a greater capacity to be fully human, to lead by example and show those around us what true, what true maturity is, to be an example to live by or a lesson to learn from. With maturity, we have finally acquired an I, a self, a center, which not fully realized we can accept as a start. We can recognize its dynamic nature, its debt to the past, but accept the fact that its future realization is independent from the past, that our life is not merely an epilogue to what has already happened. We choose ourselves in the present. Such a beautiful statement. You know, you know, I always say, you know, in, in countless episodes, we've talked about being in the moment. You know, because every moment that we choose to live in, it affects the future. And we have to recognize that the dynamic between nature and self, and that, you know, we may be considered the top predator in the circle of life, but we're not always the top predator when it comes to our conscious life. Um, and we need to be fully realized of that. And we need to we need to understand how the past is completely separate from the present, and it has nothing to do with the future. And we struggle with that because we live in a society where the past, present, and future are all in one, but not in a in in a sense of being in the present but in the sense of reminiscing about the past, confused and conflicted about the future, and never paying attention in the present. And that is the world that we live in nowadays. There's no being present anymore. There's no accepting the future's potential within the present because we are so dependent on the past to determine our future. We're so quick to write the epilogue when you know we haven't even started the introduction. And I hope that, you know, I'm hoping that with this podcast and whoever listens and whoever hears this, that maybe they'll start beginning to finally acquire or reacquire the maturity to focus on the I. And if you finally have acquired it, you need to not lose it. You need to take time and understand the dynamics within your personal universe. 
not only within your personal universe, but within your personal legend. You need to live life as a lesson learned. And living life as a lesson learned does not mean living in the past or thinking about the past or thinking about the future. Living the life as a lesson learned means everything that you have experienced is a lesson and you move forward. You don't dwell on it. You learn from it, you acknowledge it, and you move forward. And if another situation appears similar to the past one, you don't take a deep dive into it. You acknowledge it and you move forward. And that is what's so important about being able to actualize the future into the present. And and that's what's so important about being able to choose who you are in the present. Because who you are in the present each day affects the future and each day. You know, we have the, the ability to master and, and control our maturity in a, in a way that is, that is fulfilling. And it, and it fulfills and it controls and it latches on to the dynamic nature in the essential reality. But it all comes to us being in the present and accepting the challenges that come with the present. Theorist Rant, May, Bacan, see the forces of conflict to be totally within the person, with maturity being achieved through a dynamic balance intraphysically, a, re- a resolution of these conflicts within themselves, Dr. Leo. And I agree. I would agree with these theorists. You know, I believe that, you know, our worst battles, you know, um, I think it was in um, the movie Creed. Um, I love um, Rocky Balboa and Creed. I haven't seen Creed too, but I love those films because they are films about the struggle with fully actualizing I and um, and the conflict that comes with actualizing I. And there's a scene in, in, in Creed where um, Balboa's training young Creed and he's they're standing in front of the mirror and he's like, you see that man in the mirror? That is your greatest opponent. When, when you are in the ring, that's the person you're fighting. And I, I, I love that because, you know, that is such a crucial thing in, in, the, in, the, in the war of the art of living, so to speak. You know, we, you know, we are our greatest fear. We are our greatest demon. We are our greatest strength and we are our greatest weakness. But we have to understand that that is all internally, that it's within our mindset. And that's the beautiful thing about the, the Rocky movies and, and any kind of movie like that. But particularly, especially like Rocky Balboa, um, you know, there's a, there's a beautiful scene with his son. Um, 
that I, I love and I'm trying to remember it. Um, okay, here it goes. It goes, somewhere along the line, you changed. You stopped being you. You let people stick a finger in your face and tell you you're no good. And when things got hard, you looked for someone to blame, like a big shadow. Let me tell you something you already know. The world ain't all sunshine and rainbows. It's a mean and nasty place, and it will beat you and keep you down there permanently if you let it. But it's not about how hard you can hit. It's about how hard you can get hit and keep moving forward, how much you can take and keep moving forward. That's how winning is done. And I love that because that is the... The, the, the resolution in the conflict of within us, you know, that is the, the, the ever, for me, that quote is what, what it means to be in the conflict of yourself. Because every, you know, the way people treat you, the way they behave, it's a reflection of how they feel about themselves. Same about you. If, if you are someone who, who is always condescending to people, who is rude, you know, who is kind of a bully, you know, that's, you know, you're treating the people the way you feel about yourself because you feel that you're always being condescended to, that you feel that you're always, that people are being rude to you, that you are a bully. You, you're, you're just treating people the way you see yourself, the way you feel about yourself. And, and, and those people, and there are so many of them, they have failed the true self. They have given in to, I mean, it's not even the false self. It's just this, a, a negative persona, you know? I mean, I mean, I'm not this whole, you know, hip doobity doo da skippity yay my oh my. I mean, I am, but I'm within reason. You know, I do have my days where I get lonely and, and depressed and, you know, and I'll be having conflict but I know in those moments of conflict, it's within me. It's not something physical. It's not someone else. Yeah, people and outside outside forces will affect you. But in the end, it really is an internal battle of how you're going to handle this situation. How are you going to handle the, the conflict with maturity, with love and knowledge? And that's the only way that we can... We can face the internal conflicts that we are experiencing outside of us is with not love and knowledge. And within love and knowledge is patience, is being open-minded, is listening, is ingesting, is taking in and waiting to respond. Those are all crucial things when we are dealing with the conflict and how to mature our way through that conflict. Mature persons have a sincere desire to be productive and to give that production to others. The desire to create and share their creations. They accept their lives and work with satisfaction and joy. Dr. Leo. And I'll tell you, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to use a, a perfect example of this. Or a perfect example of someone who has refused 
to accept their life and and live with satisfaction and joy. So I'm sure many of you know, if you are in any Western countries, especially in the U.S., um, if you go to the bank, you can't, they are, well, in certain parts of the country, they, um, they're not allowing in-person banking. Um, in my area, like, when the numbers of people getting it was low, then you can go inside the bank, but it was like, by appointment and, you know, the whole song and dance, if any of you know what I'm talking about. But I was in the teller line in drive up. <clears throat> and so it was a decent wait. Um, so I get up the front and I'm doing my thing and I see the woman who comes and I'm like, oh, Lord, this one. And um, I'll, I'll, I'll give you a breakdown afterwards. So um, she goes, hi, how are you? And I'm like, oh, I'm doing good. Um, I would like a, a money order. And uh, I wrote on the back. And before I could even finish what I said, she had already walked off. So I'm like, oh, okay, just walk off while I'm talking. All right. Um, so I sat there and I, I knew that she knew what I wanted. Um, I In my mind, I'm like, it just would have been, <laughs> it would have been nice had you just let me finish what I was saying. <laughs> Um, but then anyway, so she eventually, she comes back and, um, she sends back all my stuff. Um, boom, boosh, and I'm, and she's like, oh, have a good day. And just starts walking off. I'm like, wait, wait, I would like an envelope. I would like an envelope. And she goes, huh, what, what, what do you want? And I was like, I, I would like an envelope, please. And she just goes, send it back. <laughs> I get my envelope and I'm, I laughed off and I was just laughing about it because I thought it was like, this. it was just so funny to me how, <laughs> and it still is to me, um, how she got so upset at me for asking her to do her job. <laughs> and it was like, and it was nothing big. It was just an envelope. But I just think it's funny because she was so quick to just disregard me. Um, and, you know, most people who are in customer service know that after afterwards you're like, and is there anything I anything else I can help you with? And either they say, no, I'm all good, thank you, or, oh, yes, can you help me with this? Or I had a quick question, and then life goes on. But this woman... <laughs> She never got time for that. I am, I kid you not. I have been going to this same bank for years now. And this woman literally is a hit or miss. And most often than not, it's a miss. And back, even back then, I never took it personally. But the, the example that I'm bringing is, this is, and this woman is you know, three times my age. But she has no satisfaction or no joy. She's just constantly in this, just not having it mood. And even when I've seen her there when she's laughing and giggling with the other people, and then sometimes once people come, okay, hi, 
how are you? What do you need? What do you want? Why are you? <laughs> she doesn't say that, but her face and the way she will talk sometimes will sound like that. Especially if you, if I remember, I there are times where I made mistakes on the, um, you know, when I'm doing my my banking and stuff, and she would get. <gasps> But then, you know, the other people, I'd make a mistake and, oh, it's okay, no worries, whatever, it doesn't matter, haha, we'd all kind of laugh about it, but not with her. But the reason why I'm picking, I, um, using that as an example, um, I even have another example. Um, this is another good example. I like this one. This is funny. Me and my mom were at TJ Maxx and um, we were just, you know, looking around, picking up, picking up some things. My mom likes to make these little um, care packages for family back home. And um, so we also had brought some old sweatshirts that my mom, that I didn't want. And we were going to, you know, get the money back and use it to pay for the stuff at TJ Maxx. And so we get to the front and, you know, we tell the the cashier, it's a young girl. She must have been like you know, 21, 22 um, a little child. And, uh, she just goes, you know, we're like, oh yeah, we'd like to, you know, return this stuff. We don't want it. We have the receipt. She's like, oh, well, I don't know. It's from last year. And, you know, we have a policy and so, well, you know, and she's like, well, I'll, I'll see. I'll see. I don't know, but we have a policy. And, uh, her manager just came by. He's like, Hey, well, you know, they want to, you know, return this and, and, but, you know, look at the date. And he's like, yeah, okay. Well, just do that and you're good. He's like, but, you know, look at the date. Yeah, okay, whatever. Just do that. And he just went on his date. So, you know, he said, okay. And she turns to us and she literally goes, just so you know, um, we're not allowed to technically do this because the, the date expired. And and I'm just saying that I'm looking at her and my mom goes, yeah, I know. We we were listening. We were, we were here. And is this a problem? And the girl's like, no, no. And, um, you know, afterwards we were done and we got out of there. And, you know, I was with, walking with my mom and I was like, just so you know, I need you to know my opinion and know that I don't like having to do my job. And the fact is, I didn't want to do this. It was just funny because she essentially didn't want to do this and was telling it. it just You get what I mean. You, you get the scenario. But we were laughing about it. We were making fun of it. But I'm using these as examples of people who just don't have any, who are just not satisfied with anything. And like, what's even more funny about it for her is like, she didn't gain anything out of this. She didn't want to do it. And for whatever reason, she didn't want to do it. But in the end, she ended up having to do it. And she was sulking about it the, the whole time. And it's like, you know, I, 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 I see situations like this and I see people like this and I'm like, you know, this was a young girl. And then the other woman was, you know, three times my age. And it's like, what's going on here, people? Like, I know we're living in tough times, but like, pick your battles. And, you know, we were kind and nice to her. And I was even saying thank you for, for doubling the bags and doing this and, you know, my my mom was at that point was had nothing wanted nothing to do with her, but she was still being very respectful and kind. But you know, it's more of just like these situations and the way people behave in these moments. It's it's disappointing because you know there's 
no, there's this constant need to not take the time and enjoy work, enjoy life, enjoy the motions. I mean, you know, that bank teller, she knows who I am. I go there all the time. We used to talk about Rocky, which is so funny. We'd constantly talk about Rocky and and how excited it was when the second one was coming out, I think. Um, so I'd be like, you know, we had, I would think about all those, you know, nice moments I had with her. But then I think about how most of the time she's very just salty. <laughs> and we've all experienced and met people like that and have been like that ourselves. You know, we've all didn't have good days. We've all been there. Um, but I just, you know, I bring those up because, you know, that those people don't have that. They've lost that desire to create environments and share memories with totally complete strangers that will, you know, benefit them and 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 make the day a lot better. You know, I'll use a, a great example. I was at the post office and um, they have a rule that when you head in and you, you meet with one of the postal workers, um, one person at a time. So I'm waiting um, I got a couple slips so I can get my packages. And this woman comes in. Now, there are big red signs that say one person at a time. So she she knew. And so she's kind of looking around. She knows she's not supposed to be in there. I'm not saying anything. But I'm looking at the corner of my eye and I'm like, you know you're not supposed to be in here. But you can't find what you're looking for. And then the postal worker comes over and she looks at me. She's like, "Are you? With, is she with you? And I'm like, no. I'm like, no, she's not with me. She's like, ma'am, you need to, you, you can only be, she's like, I'm just looking for, ma'am, you need to get out. <laughs> she didn't say it like that, but she's like, you need to be out only one person at a time. So she was all, that. I can already tell she was already frustrated. So I'm coming up and giving her my things. And she's wearing a beautiful necklace, really pretty. So I'm like, wow, that's a really beautiful necklace. She's like, oh my God, thank you. My daughter got this for me. I'm like, oh wow, she's got some really good taste. Yeah, she does. I, I thought I'd lost it, but I found it. I'm like, wow, that's great. Make sure you hold on to that. She's like, oh, I definitely will. And she her entire persona changed. And I guarantee you, even her interaction with the woman who was not following the rules, I guarantee you, she wasn't gonna be sulky or, you know, you know, a little passive aggressive towards the the customer we've all met we've all experienced i mean how i just told you two scenarios of of you know a bank teller and a, and a retail saleswoman you know being passive aggressive um but she i'm i use that example because i created in her a spark a joy and happiness and it was near the end of her shift you know it was near the end of the the day for the postal uh, office so I know that for her, at the end of that day, what I created for her was, you know, she felt good about herself. She felt confident and she could leave, you know, work knowing I had, you know, I got a great confident, confident compliment and it ended on a good note. And even with that, you know, that woman outside waiting, she heard that interaction and hopefully maybe then when she comes in, she'll maybe she apologized. I don't know. But, you know, I'm using that because it's a it's a moment of, of creation and it's a moment of satisfaction and joy. And, yeah, I wasn't working, but 
I made someone else who was working feel good about themselves. And, and that's important. I mean, I, you know, I love my new job. Um, it is, if it wasn't for this job, this job is a blessing for me. I'm eternally grateful because it's the first time in a while where I work somewhere where I'm truly valued, not only as an employee, but as an individual. And that's something that's really hard to find nowadays, especially in employment. And I am very fortunate that I'm still employed. You know, my hours are severely cut, but it at least it's a routine. And I get so excited when I go into work and and see, you know, the the older individuals, the elder that I, you know, um, clients that I drive home. And I also clean and maintain the facility. And, you know, it was a huge responsibility to take up. Um, but it was a responsibility that has made me a better person and has made me improve my own personal life. You know, I, I'm a custodian, I clean and, and I love it. I get excited for, um, cleaning for a perfect example. Um, um, Ron, the guy who comes, he has a cleaning company and he comes to clean, power clean the floors and the rugs. And he was coming in, just looking at what needs to be done. And I was kind of pointing out, you know, some stains and things here and there. And he was like, man, you, your floors, you don't really need too much work done on your floors. You do a fantastic job of cleaning them. And I was like, oh, wow, I, I really appreciate that. And he's like, yeah, man. And I would hire you any day to, to come clean the floors at my place. And, and this is coming from a professional. And that gave me such satisfaction and joy in my work and the fact that a man who's entire who runs his own business and I've seen him and his crew come in and clean and and there's some wacky funny individuals and some characters but they know how to work and uh, he just has his business down to precision and and hearing him compliment me like that it made me feel so proud of myself because you know I struggled when I started working there, you know. I wasn't doing the best as I could have been doing and and some of the expectations that they were expecting of me. And they communicated to me like a human, like a person, what they the expectations and what they would like me to improve on. And they even get to the point where they worked out a checklist of things that they want me to do. And they've kind of even taken some of the load off and cleaned certain things that I don't need to do. And it, it, it brings extra satisfaction and joy for me because even though my hours are severely cut, I still get excited when I head to work. And I still, at the end of the day, get proud of, of how clean the floors look or how well the toilets look. And I put in an, a good extra amount of garbage bags and, you know, they're going to be set for the week. And it just makes me feel really proud and satisfied. And I want everyone to experience that. We all should deserve to experience that. And if you're not, I, I'm sorry. And I hope that you'll find that. And I know you will. You can't give up on it. Even if you're unemployed, I, I understand that, you know, I was unemployed when we shut down for the lockdown. I get it. But I want you to know that if you are fortunate and you're still employed, 
use that, be fortunate and, and be happy about that and take that energy and, and spread it to your coworkers, spread it to the customers. Try giving out one compliment a day to a customer or to a coworker and see how much of a difference that makes in their day and in yours, but in the moment especially. Because that moment can last and those feelings can last and you can end up having a better day. Dr. Leo, artists of life are spontaneous, accepting, flexible, receptive to new experiences, suspicious of reality. They are harmonious with external forces, but autonomous busy with the process of inventing their own lives. They see existence as a series of choices, the selection of which they must determine and for which they are singularly responsible. They care about respect and appreciate the world and society in which they live and the others who cohabit it. Even if they may not wholly agree with them, they believe in their own personal needs and potentialities and realize that these may often conflict with others, but they recognize that conflict can be a positive force, positive force for growth and change. Dr. Leo. Stage four, the fully functioning intimate person. I must create a system or be enslaved by another man's. I will not reason and compare. My business is to create. William Blake. My business is to create. That is a statement that truly solidifies my journey. My grandfather, may he rest in peace, may have heard this poem. If not, he knew he didn't want me to be enslaved. He saw the fully actualized person before I ever knew who I was. And I am fortunate for that. But we all can be this fortunate. We can all choose to be intimate with love and knowledge and become a person and a business of creative expansion and unification that improves our society and our desire for love and knowledge and to secure ourselves in peace Enjoy. That is the true joy of being in the business to create. It doesn't matter what your occupation is. Remember, it is an extension of the art of living. We can never talk down or disregard anyone's employment or, re- or career because what they do is a form of art that we do not have the talent to appreciate or grasp but we can be grateful and support their creative endeavor because it may provide us with the ability to live, to be entertained, educated, and loved. Each and every one of you out there, whether employed or unemployed, due to the pandemic, you're still in the business to create. And it may be having to create a positive and mindful environment that is able to carry the stresses of life and those that encompass your personal universe. You may have children, loved ones, parents that rely on you. Finances may be tight, 
but they rely on you to create some form of balanced safety and at times fun. I know that it's hard. I'm not diminishing the essential reality, but I also know we are all capable of succeeding and overcoming. That is what makes us so fortunate about our species, about being human. Dr. Leo, we have reached our early maturity and have accepted the responsibility for clearing and creating a new, heretofore not present, person. We have agreed to engage in the commitment to self. Dr. Leo, I love this statement because it's very Shakespearean to me. You know, this engage to engage in commitment to self. And, you know, I empathize with this because that is where I am in my life right now. You know, I'm in a commitment to self. I'm in a commitment to bettering myself, to strengthening my individuality and self-actualization and and practicing and being more disciplined and being in the moment. And I'm still struggling with it. Don't get me wrong. It's going to be an ongoing struggle. But the more we are, the more we strengthen our ability to not become into that, to not fall into that, the stronger we become. And, you know, we have to realize that life is poetry, that life is I. That, you know, that life is being I. And when we are I, we are life. And life gives, life reproduces, life takes. And and that is what is beautiful about creating a new life and accepting the responsibilities of life. Bing. (laughs) Sorry about that little notification. Um, But, you know, what I'm trying to say is that we need to clear our minds and understand the beauty in maturity and not even in the sense of 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 old age but in mental maturity and how it is the commitment to self that fully actualizes and fully engages maturity but you know we all have to we're all in the different stages in our lives and different stages in our growth and maybe right now you may feel that commitment to self isn't necessary but it is like i've said in previous episodes the only person that you should be truly trying to impress is yourself the only person that's always going to truly look out for you and always have your back in the end is yourself and that is commitment to self. And if you cannot commit yourself to if you cannot commit to yourself, you cannot commit to anyone. You cannot commit to your personal universe. You cannot commit to the true self. Because as Dr. Leo says, true intimacy is a positive force only if it is combining of strength and energies with other mature persons for the continued growth of each other. It must be a willful relinquishing of some aspects of each person's autonomous self in desire to get more. 
Dr. Leo, true intimacy is a positive force, something this world has forgotten wholeheartedly. We have been consumed and domesticated into the desire of exploiting intimacy for our own personal security and gain. Many of us have fallen victim to relationships with individuals who sought to exploit our intimacy for their own insecurities and self-inflicting tendencies. This has been amplified tenfold by the introduction of social media, for there is no such thing as intimacy anymore. There is no such thing as leaving a little something for the imagination or to be desired. We have been so accustomed and trained to put our intimacy out there without any regard for the consequences or backlash we may face personally or with our loved ones. The idea of true intimacy has been infected with narcissism, jealousy, and passive-aggressive behaviors, and we have all been victims and perpetrators. I hold myself in that category as well, and I hope you do so the same, because it is necessary so that we do not make the same mistakes and create a ripple that subjects other people to an endless cycle of toxic intimacy. But it's so hard nowadays, so hard to find true intimacy. I struggle with it myself. I have this habit of falling for individuals who pretend to be the true self, when in reality they've already given up and have accepted the false self. You know, I was talking with my therapist today, and he was telling me something that I never really thought about until now. He said that I need to find someone who's on a similar path and level of self-actualization as I am. And he's right. I continue to fall for individuals who were never going to be on the same path. Individuals who never truly wanted to combine the strengths of our love and knowledge to build our own personal universe. I'll be honest with you. All, you know, I've known for quite a while what I wanted in a relationship, the type of individual I would like to spend the rest of my life with. But it has taken me to this point in my life to realize that the value I see in myself and the expectations I have of myself, I need to find an individual who is in the same with their intent. I don't mean to get personal, but I feel like it needs to be said because I know I'm not the only one out there and it's even harder now with the pandemic. And I'm fortunate that the last individual that I was seeing, I didn't make the same mistake that I've made in the past. So safe to say, I don't feel like a fool who fell in love. And the thing is, we all have to remind ourselves, you can't force true intimacy. All you can do is manifest and hope that the individual will find you sooner rather than later. And it all will be a blessing and a surprise. They will see the value in the love and knowledge you have and are willing to share. They will embrace it wholeheartedly, just as you with theirs. Because true intimacy comes naturally and vulnerable and true. The energy you generate between one another is in synchronicity with the growth of each other. The gardens have become one a botanical garden. The thing is, that is what we all decide. That, the thing is, 
That is what we all desire. I'm not the only one. But I'm not afraid to speak up for all of us because I know some of us don't have a voice. We're afraid, and that's okay. We're only human. Humans who have the great gift and the curse to experience love and the knowledge it brings. For that knowledge can hurt, but it can also inspire and motivate you to right the wrongs of yourself, to become truly human and truly intimate with oneself, being ready to find that true intimacy with another. As I say, we're all on our hero's journey, and love can be a side quest or the main mission. And in the journey for true intimacy comes relinquishing each other's personal desires, finding the common ground within them and seeking a common ground to build upon the true intimacy that you are formulating. Because there is strength in a unifying love, strength in a unifying desire that you both individually and together grow and evolve into your individual self-actualization towards true intimacy that molds together, creating a fully functional human of love. And that love may just happen to duplicate. But the true intimacy will be integrated and ingrained in that child's DNA. For the responsible authority you have upon yourself and the true intimacy will become muscle memory for the child or children. For true intimacy is bigger than you. It is easy to love casual friends and so difficult to love a lover. Our investment in a friend is far less revealing and demanding than that for a lover, but also in the long run, far less rewarding in its, comp in its compensation toward growth. Dr. Leo. Stage five, the fully functioning old person. Our present society attempts to not only take away our right to death, but also our right to life. Rob a childhood of joy, relegates the rebellious adolescent to an empty cause, intimidates the adult to continual uncertainty, but most tragic of all, denies us the dignity of our old age. And think about that. Think about that quote by Dr. Leo. How many, how many of us have parents or no elderly who are, you know, in their 70s, still, still working, still working to pay off those college loans or that debt, or, or, you know, still have a couple, five more years or three more years until they get their retirement and, and their full benefits. And, you know, we don't, we don't appreciate old age. We don't appreciate our elderly anymore. And, you know, our society at times, I mean, we do, but at times we don't. Um, and it's, un it's unfortunate. And same with childhood. Like I said earlier, you know, how many children are, are becoming adults now? Whether it's, you know, biologically, but or society, 
you know, by what's going on in their in their personal lives and the upbringing. You know, how many children have to become adults, have to raise their siblings. You know, it's it's unfortunate. And you know, we got we got a uh, Fast and Furious out on the highway right now. <laughs> um, and you know, even for for teenagers, you know, how many of them are 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 fighting causes that they're never going to win or, you know, or, or believing in, 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 as he puts empty causes that are nothing more than distractions or, you know, nothing more than a, than a fad, you know, you know, oh, she'll grow out of it. He'll grow out of it, you know, and we've done that. We've, how many kids have, have turned into these, you know, these incredible, you know, activists and speakers due to gun violence you know due to sexual violence it's it's horrific and it's unfortunate and and it's sad and even with being an adult you know we are you know how many of us are have been in jobs or are in jobs where we're stuck with these crazy hierarchies and and people who don't value us and don't see us as people, but a number or a statistic, a statistic, whatever, whatever you would have. I mean, we have so much of that. We don't. We have made adults into these caricatures, and we've made employment in certain jobs caricatures, and you know. <laughs> You know, we don't even appreciate, you know, we make judgments on someone's appearance and that will determine whether they have employment. I mean, you know, I have a tiny little tattoo on my on my um, inner wrist and, you know, my mom's like, well, how are you going to get employment? And I'm like, well, mom, I wear long sleeves. <laughs> and uh, and then afterwards, after I get hired, then it doesn't matter. But I mean, you know, it, 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 even then it's like, you know, I saw a girl today at Walmart and she had like, like cheetah patterns on like the side of her skull near her ear. And I'm like, Hey, I mean, that's cool. You, you know, she looked sexy with them. You know, I, I, I don't know what she does for in employment, but you know, it doesn't matter now at this point. I mean, we, I think it's, it's just funny how, being an adult that can prevent you from getting on from getting employment if you're a, a, a black woman and you have natural hair that, that will prevent you from getting employment because you have a, a nose ring or your both your arms have sleeves tattoos you know that can prevent you from getting employment and and that's unfortunate and that affects our culture and in our employment employment systems and and the expectations, because, you know, that person with, you know, with the natural hair and the sleeve tattoo might have all the qualifications you need and the personality. But because of that, because of their natural hair or their tattoos, you're like, no, we can't have that in the office. So you'll pick the other person who doesn't have as best qualities, who doesn't have the personality, but they don't have natural hair and they don't have tattoos. So tattoos that you can see, you know, and, and then with, with old age, I mean, 
we don't even appreciate our elderly. We don't compliment them. We don't, you know, um, celebrate them for their, you know, what they've accomplished and succeeded and, and value the, the lessons and knowledge. You know, there are some people who are, you know, who are brought to the center that I, that I work at who, you know, their family, you know, from what I hear from the nurses and things like that, you know, it's like, you know, how many families and how many people have we've all known and experienced who, who are elderly, who are just pushed away or just dropped off somewhere? Um, we get frustrated with them. We, you know, it, it's, we don't give them the dignity that they need in terms of, you know, whether it's feeding them or clothing them. We don't, you know, acknowledge, you know, acknowledge them and, and appreciate them. Even if, you know, you know, I look at it for me, like, you know, my grandfather, you know, I had to, you know, I used to, you know, grab the pee cup and put his dick in the pee cup so he could pee because he couldn't sit down and he couldn't pee, you know, um, standing up. He couldn't do it himself. He needed help. I remember having to help him, you know, go to the bathroom and, and, and wipe his ass. You know, I I remember those things, but I did it all with dignity and respect to who he was as a person. Um, and we don't do those things for our elderly anymore. Even when we know that they're struggling, we don't appreciate it and we don't give them some sense of dignity in those situ in those scenarios and situations. And it's unfortunate. We, you know, we don't we're not taught to value and appreciate our elderly. Um, society has made it look like they are a burden to us and that's not fair and that's not right. And, you know, I hope that, you know, we, at some point in our, in society, we do a little bit of a course correction and, and we work on that and we do not continue to deny the elderly, the dignity of old age. Because as Dr. Leo puts it, old age, too, has a purpose. And we must choose to either sacrifice or actualize it. For those of you who are fortunate to still have their grandparents or grandparent in their life, look to them as an example of an individual who has either sacrificed or actualized their old age. We live in a society now where age is just a number. We look to social media and entertainment to see older individuals actualize themselves into generating a following, influence, inspiration, and a complete metamorphosis of who they once were and who they are now. It's beautiful to see and exciting to know that those potentialities are possible for us when we arrive at our old age when we have decisions to sacrifice or actualize how our old age will be. We will continue to fully expand and actualize the mystery child within, or we will sacrifice a child with our old age. Dr. Leo says, tonality seems to be the result of more feelings of uselessness and timelessness than a physical and mental decay. Working at an adult daycare center, I see this especially 
and the older individuals who are not experiencing or suffering from any physical or mental deterioration. At times, you can see them just on autopilot, going through the motions and waiting for the time to run out. It's unfortunate. I'll never forget this one older individual. I asked them how they're doing today, and they replied by saying, well, I'm still here. And I think back to that, and it really applies to the feeling of uselessness, uselessness and timelessness. This question of what's the point? You know, I've lost all of my autonomous ability and I am bound to a mundane routine that I didn't choose. And I see others in a very same position. Yet they see this time as relaxation and enjoying the carefree day of light activities and laughter. When I take them home, they're proud of the arts and crafts they've made. Excitement that I have arrived to work to take them home and we share a good laughter and smiles on the road. I bring this up because it's unfortunate that the individual who told me, well, I'm still here. When I first started working at this location, I'll never forget seeing them dancing with one of the nurses. And then, you know, she had such character and full of life. But once the lockdown and the pandemic happened and we came back to some form of normality, <laughs> in our work routine, it seemed as if she had lost all of her actualization. And I see this, and at my old age, I don't want to lose or sacrifice my actualization. That's why I strive and work so hard in the present so that in my old age, I can continue to explore and expand upon the journey of my self-actualization. And I wish this for all of us, to find a way to maintain and hold on to the mystery child within, to never give up no matter the cost, for your emotional well-being is key to the older self. We must never forget the art of living never ceases to end until our last breath upon this earthly plane. As Dr. Leo says, hope is a real part of the future. And even in old age, one can choose hope, not hope for immortality or revived youth, not a hope for retreat into the past because one finds comfort there and there's no place else to go, but rather a continued search in each moment for the source of one's self. And I love this because, you know, I, I see it in some of the <clears throat> you know, the elderly that I work with, that I take home, you know, they, they're still chugging along. They're happy. They're, they're, they're grooving, you know, they have hope. Um, and even if it's a, a fool's hope, they hold on to it and I support them in it and I believe them in it. And, you know, I'm, you know, I'm not able to help any way other than provide them, you know, some joy and a comfortable ride home. But, you know, I know that for me, you know, working with the elderly, it has made me have that much more of appreciation for my own life and more of a desire to really create the life and manifest the life that's destined for me. And 
you know, I don't, you know, I don't, when I, when I hope for is I hope for being a, I hope for being a better person than I was yesterday. And I hope for that in my old age that I can look back and I can look back at my past and know each day I was better than yesterday. And that even in my old age, even when I wake up and I'm like, oh, I made it, I still was better than yesterday. And we all need to be proud of that. We, we all need to be appreciative of being mortal. And there's a great book that I think everyone should really read. Um, it's called uh, Being Mortal, actually. And um, it's a beautiful book. It had me in tears at the end. Um, and it's it's really a good book about dealing with um, the end of life. And, you know, especially if you are dealing with your own mortality, but also the mortality of loved ones, especially loved ones who are older. How do you work through the process, um, the process before they even leave this earth? The process of accepting their, their mortality is inevitable. And I highly recommend everyone read that book. Because... As Dr. Leo says, death is no stranger to age, since, in a very real sense, life is a matter of series of deaths, as each act is a stage. I mean, hold on. Death is a string. Death is no stranger to age, since, in the very real sense, life is a matter of series of deaths, as each act or stage is completed. Got it. <laughs> uh, I love that. You know, we, and kind of like how I was saying with, you know, with being revitalizing and like the immortal jellyfish, like each stage of our life, when you go from an infant to a child to an adolescent to an adult to old age, like you are, meta, you know, it's a metamorphosis. You are dying and, and being reborn. You are a phoenix. <laughs> You know, if you want to look at it in a in, in that sense, that each stage in life is a phoenix. And when you die, you are born again in flames, flames of life. I mean, look at, you know, natural forest fires that happen. We They are necessa uh, ne necessary for life. You know, we've all seen planet Earth. They have some great footage of those massive natural fires and how it cleans out that area new life is able to grow and expand and thrive and it's important for the ecosystem and for the soil um and we need to look at ourselves like that we need to look at death like that that each stage in our life you know is is a form of death and rebirth like the immortal jellyfish you know because Time itself is meaningless when it contains the past and the future in the present. The task of the old person is to continue to live in the now. Dr. Leo. And, you know, I think 
you know, as much as that is the task of an old person, which I agree to live in the now, the only way you can truly actualize that, appreciate it and master it is by learning that at your teenage self, at an adolescent, as an adult. That is the perfect time to learn and to contain the past, present, and the future. Because, you know, if you are someone, you know, who's really working towards your self-actualization, working towards being a better person, living on that hero's journey of being mindful and, and what have you, whatever your, 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 your quest is, whatever your journey is, you, you don't want to lose that. And when you get to your to to an old age, you know that that drive that drive is still just as important because even in your old age, the past, the present, the future they're still going on. You're still a part of it. You can't forget that. You can't forget that in your old age that this is it. You're done. No, you're still there. You're still here. You're still present. And if you're fortunate and you're not held back by, you know, physical disabilities or mental deterioration, you can still thrive and you can still seek out and you can still live in the moment and and, and accomplish those goals and dreams that you had, no matter how small and insignificant they may seem to anyone else. They might be the world to you. Because death Two is purposeful. It is not simply an end to life, but also, as Elizabeth Kubler Rose Kubler Ross designates, it's the last stage of growth. The last stage of growth. Such a beautiful, such a beautiful perspective. I feel that this is such a true designation. That is the final growth into the next journey of our spiritual well-being. Nobody knows what's on the other side. But if you can be mentally sound, ready, and actualized, and that there's nothing more than the next phase in the hero's journey, you have become a fully functioning person who has mastered the art of living. Now is the time to master the art of the afterlife. Whether you're drinking mead and having countless battles in Valhalla, finding everlasting divinity within the arms of God, or celebrating and fornicating on Mount Olympus, death is only made by how we live. We must all find purpose in death. We must embrace it as much as we inhale a breath of fresh air. Death gives life purpose. Life gives death meaning. Embrace the final stage. Dance to the final countdown. For a fully functioning old persons do not have time to sit back and wait for death. They are faced with the task of working through and actualizing two new stages, the old age and the personal death. Dr. Leo. You know, working at an adult daycare center, I've seen a few functioning old persons who are either working through and actualizing 
or just sitting back and waiting. They are faced with the task and perhaps they have lost the will to actualize. I see it in their eyes. They have accepted old age as nothing nothing more. So they've let go and are just waiting for the last breath. How many of us are already at this stage in our life? We are so young and still have time to find our potentialities. I am not diminishing mental health, but simply acknowledging a symptom that many of us who have experienced severe, severe depression or mental illness illnesses have felt. We cannot pretend that even in our old age that we will not experience that very same depression or mental illnesses. That is why it is crucial that we work through our final stage to see the beauty and the knowledge and the love of our old age. And it has given us and has granted us to give, hopefully, to a generation. That personal death will be on our own terms. And whether it is expected or unexpected, we can know that we lived in the moment and that our hero's journey is just beginning because we're not afraid of death and we do not see it as the end, but as a challenge, a challenge to overcome during the living and a challenge to embrace in the afterlife. As Dr. Leo says, the self that we are now contains the actualization potential which will fulfill us. The challenge is ours. We are now, we are not the same as the past or the future. Here and now contains the potentialities of our actualization. The challenge is ours to embrace those embryonic potentialities, to seek out living as a fully functioning person so we can feel free in our old age and focus on the final countdown. Because the self is the legacy in the memory that carries on after we leave this earthly plane. Whether we die in the moment or old age, we can have an imprint that will affect the future of those in our personal universe. You may be gone, but your universe still lives on in the memories of your loved ones and friends. They take the stars of your universe and add them to their galaxy. The challenge never leaves us. It is hunger and desire that will. Many of us lose the drive. Many of us fear the challenge, but that is the beauty of life. For it is all in your mind. Only there will you find your hunger for life. It is nobody else's challenge. It is nobody else's fear. It is nobody else's demons, but your own. Seize your potential and fulfill your actualization. Embrace the challenge in the art of living. At first, the infant, mewling and pucking in the nurse's arms, and then the winding schoolboy with his satchel and shining morning face, creeping like a snail, unwilling to school, and then the lover, sighing like a furnace, with woeful ballad made to his mistress' eyebrow, then a soldier full of strange oaths 
and bearded like a bard, jealous in honor, sudden and quick in quarrel, seeking the bubble reputation, even in the cannon's mouth, and then the justice, in fair round belly with good capone lined, with eyes severe and beard of formal cut, full of wise saws and modern instances, and so he plays his part. The sixth age shifts into the lean and slippered pantaloon. With spectacles on nose and pouch on side, his youthful hose well saved and a world too wide for his shrunk sank. And his big manly voice turning again toward childish tribble, pipes and whistles in his sound. Last scene of all that ends this strange eventful history is second childness and mere oblivion, sans teeth, sans eyes, sans taste, sans everything. William Shakespeare, as you like it. I hope you enjoyed this episode of The Monday Mindset. To learn more about myself and how you can support The Monday Mindset, head over to my Patreon page at Ronin Art and Music. That's Ronin Art and Music. If you're listening to this on your preferred streaming service, please make sure to subscribe. If you're listening on YouTube, make sure to subscribe, leave a comment and review. Slap that notification bell. On iTunes, please make sure to subscribe, rate the podcast and leave a review as this will help me and the podcast grow. Stay positive, stay focused, stay true and much love.